Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. This episode contains conversations about suicide and addiction. So as always, there is lots of hope and humor in the talk, but please listen at your discretion. If that is a sensitive topic for you, you may want to skip this episode. Hello, you guys. Uh, Welcome to Mina AF. Hope everyone had a not terrible Monday. We'll, We'll go with that. I am super dang excited for my guest today. It's Maurice Gowan, and she is an Irish stand-up comedian based out of London and so freaking funny. So I read some of the excerpts of your book. I tried to find the audio version on Audible, and it's not there. So I need to go wherever it is because just based on the clips I read of Trouble, which is your book, and um, the Have a Word podcast I saw you on, like 1,000% I'm going to read which means listen to the whole freaking thing because you're so funny. Oh, thank you. I don't know I don't know where, where you get it. I don't think it's out in America. It's not? <laughs> yeah, I, I just assumed it would be on Audible, though, and like Kindle. Is that not worldwide? I it mean, that's is. crazy. I don't know this, but. It was a very cursory search while my two and four-year-old were being psychopaths last night. Um, so I do need, if I do a deeper dive, I imagine I will be successful. It's somewhere, it's somewhere out there. It's somewhere. So, um, you know, Megan always makes me this lovely little document that printed tiny for some reason. And um, the note I made under it says, says she shit her pants once. And it was the day before rehab. And she thought this feels like rock bottom because I have shit my pants probably a dozen times and I'm not a drug addict (laughs) or an alcoholic. What life are you like? Get more fiber into your diet. I just put my head on the wall. Um, I don't have a gallbladder. Uh, And (laughs) so for real, it, it does weird things. And I was feeling very kindred spirit with you. Um, I would like for, you know, if anyone hasn't listened to the Have a Word podcast, I would like you to tell your shitting story because it's so good and it really, you know, is parallel to mine. One of mine. Wait, but but do you you actually have a medical condition? I feel like you tricked me there because it's like <laughs> you're shitting. You're just like get your life together, you stupid bitch. And then you're like, and I'm missing a major part of my body, and it's like, oh my condolences. <laughs> you're so brave. You're so yes. Brave. <laughs> It's um open with that, open with that piece. <laughs> but it's better if uh, it just it doesn't have to mean it's rock bottom. It could just mean I mean hundred percent. One of the situations I would say is rock bottom, but not because of drugs or alcohol. Um, but I like I, I shit under a tree in a park with my toddler in the stroller. Actually, he was probably an infant. But the, your gallbladder is what breaks down the fat that you eat, and. Um, you know, it didn't used to be a thing where anyone under like 50 had problems with it. So when I was, when I, like it, anything I ate was excruciatingly painful. And when I say this, it's going to sound like I am a drug addict. I'm a pill hoarder. So like if I've had surgeries and stuff, I like save the pain pills. So when I was around like 20, I would take like oxycodone and then eat and pass out because it hurt so bad. 
And eventually they figured out it was my gallbladder. It just stopped working. So they took it out. And once they take it out, literally what they call the the syndrome that you develop is dumping syndrome because the food just slip and slides through your dang body. And it just, like, it's it's coming out like liquids. Like what? I mean, I don't even know how much I, I, I want to know behind the scenes. Yeah, no, um, it really depends. So the first time, the first time I pooped my pants was in um, a shopping center. I was with my uh, fiance looking for uh, an outfit because he was going to go to the Kentucky Derby big horse race here. And we're like, we had just went to eat somewhere and we're walking into the mall. And I was like, I got to go pee. I'll be right back. And uh, en route to the mall bathroom, um, it was probably considered more of a shart because I got there just in time. But I had to throw my underwear away. And it took some time to, you know, fix the situation. And granted, we were engaged, but, you know, we hadn't discussed shitting our pants yet. So when I do... Yeah, you're not 80 years old. <laughs> like, that doesn't come up in the dating. So when I did find him, he's like, where, I, where have you been? I was like, I was looking for you everywhere. Where have you been? And then fast forward a year, we were in the car with my sister talking about like wedding stuff. And I was like, don't be like super weird about your speech and say like the embarrassing things about me. And she's like, oh, when you shit your pants in Macy's. And my now husband looks at me and he's like, you did what? And I was like, damn it. Yes, Kelsey, thanks. I shit my pants at Macy's. But so that's that's what, you know, gallbladder. But I want you to tell your pooping your pants story. Yeah, well, yours is like my biggest fear of being sober now is like shitting my pants because of (laughs) nothing to blame it on. So what you're describing is like such a fear of mine. Like every time I fart, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Because I can't be like, but I'm an alcoholic. Okay. Yeah. There's no excuse when you're sober. No, no. It's just body. Just tell um, people you don't have a gallbladder. There's no way for them to yeah. check. If it ever yeah, happens. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even know what a gallbladder was when you said that. There you so go. It might not even be real. But <laughs> I believed it. I had empathy. Uh, yeah, I shit my pants. It was. I wouldn't even call it like my rock bottom because I had like... 15 rock bottoms mm-hmm. so like I, I feel like once you're into double digits you're like right I'm just this is just my life this like, I have to stop calling these rock bottoms this is just how I'm choosing to live my life uh-huh. um but it just coincidentally happened the day before I was going to, to rehab um I was recording the audiobook of my book Trouble a memoir maybe not available maybe who knows? We're going to figure it out. Um, we'll put it in the show notes, Yeah, guys. look it up. Look it up if you're listening. Um, the shitting is not in it. So I, w- I was recording the audiobook. I, it was the last day of it. And I hated recording. I mean, this is not a good sell of the audiobook. I'm now realizing. But like the worst four days of my life, I was like so either like really hungover or like no, actually, I wasn't drunk at all during the four days, but I was so hungover in each one of them. And that to just read, it was so difficult. And I also wrote the book while I was drinking. So a lot of the things I was reading for the first time. And I was like, who wrote this? This is filthy. Like, this is no memory, no memory. Especially like the sex things. And I'm sitting across this like sound engineer. And I'm like, dude, don't look at me. Don't look at me when I'm saying this. This is, I can't believe I wrote it's this. It's like my kids when they're shitting on the toilet waiting for me to wipe their ass, but don't want me to look. They want privacy. Like don't, don't oh, see it happening. That's so cute. They're like little cats. <laughs> that's cute. I love it. So yeah, I was recording it. It was like, I was not having a good time. Um, I would have, I'd be drinking whatever, Barocco, which is like a thing to give you some energy, but it would fizz and it would get picked up on the mic and would have to re-record oh. that like page. And it was just, I was, I had a sick bucket in the room. Like it was, it, it was not me at my best. And then um, on the last day, and like I had to finish it that day because I knew I was going to rehab the next day. So I had like, an eight hour left to read it or maybe six I don't know but um I woke up I was supposed to be there at like 9 a.m I woke up at like 1 p.m and I'm like oh sh- damn okay late <gasps> so I like rushed to get ready um texting the guy being like oh you know trains trains which like 
is always my excuse. When you're in London, you can just say trains. You don't even have to say anything else, just trains. And people will be like, take three days. We know how it is. So I am, I'm rushing to get there. Um, like going through the park, it's a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Everyone is like being wholesome as cute families and jogging families people with their dog everyone's got a dog everyone in the city's got a dog and they think their dog is some special thing to ever exist everyone's walking with their dog and their coffee I don't even know where they get these coffees there's no coffee shop near this park they're all holding their little coffees with their two hands you know blowing into it and like just having this Sunday of their dreams, you know? And I'm rushing through the park because I'm like, I've got somewhere to be. And I just shit my pants. Just came out of no nowhere. No warning. Nothing. No warning. No, just like complete. I, I was not even, when it happened, I was like, did I just imagine that? And then I, because I was also, you know, I was an alcoholic. I was not of like sound mind going through my thought processes of the when I shit my pants mm-hmm. so I shit my pants and then in my head I was like I must keep going <laughs> I cannot I cannot let this sound engineer down I'm already so late so I just keep walking through this park and then I'm like well I can't show up with a load with of shit, shit in my pants was it like yeah, solid shit? Was it solid ones that like could roll out of your pant leg, or did it like run down? No, your leg? no. Okay, no. It was I, it, it was. It was. It was in the. It was in the middle. I okay. think it was like Goldilocks. Like, so the quite. underwear were containing it. Oh wait, was there underwear? Yeah, but okay. this this all happened so quick. Yeah, this is all like this is. I was operating on pure instinct. Yeah. So I just like dropped my pants in the park and then. I used my scarf, it was winter, it was January, I used my scarf to like wipe and then I threw the scarf in a bush <laughs> and I pulled back up my pants and just kept going to the train station and I called up my friend like on the way and I was like, dude, you're not going to believe this, I'm after shitting my pants and he was like, go home. <laughs> Go home and shower. You, you can't sit in a sound booth for eight hours with shit pants. Yeah, there's and they're so they're tiny. They're such tiny little rooms. Yeah, but I just I was like the scarf took the brunt of it. Like it's fine. But then he convinced me, and I went home, and it was not fine. Like once I got in the shower, I was like Jesus Christ. Really made a mess this of things. Is like a crime scene here. So yeah, I showered arrived to the recording at like whatever 4 p.m finished the book <laughs> I didn't even when I got to like read the acknowledgments I was just like nah no nah, we don't need to up. read that part that's fine yeah there's no acknowledgments in the audiobook I just gave up my follow-up question is I know you referenced throwing the scarf in a bush but were were you in a bush or were you just like eh, out in the park I was out and about I was like on so I went from the like park on a grassy like, knoll for all to on see on a grass well because I was in movement as well by the time that I was like using the scarf I'd gotten through the park and I was then on a street a residential street oh, okay the same street that I walk up and down every day to go to yoga every day I'm reminded of my shame of where and also it was crazy too though when I when I was coming home that night I like looked, I like peered in. I wasn't going to touch the scarf, but I did like the scarf. I just had it and the scarf was gone. The scarf was gone. So someone, some poor homeless person took your shit scarf. Yeah. Or somebody just like who owned the house that I threw. Oh, yeah. Like I threw it in a bush that belonged to somebody's house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So maybe they, I don't know, the scarf, the scarf was gone. So we were playing um, at this playground. You can walk to a couple from my house. Like I'm pretty much right downtown in the city I live in. And my kids are almost three and five. But the bigger park, we were playing at a couple weeks ago. And my husband says, they trimmed your shit tree. You can't shit. No one can shit there anymore. (laughs) So when I had Jack, um, he's the one that's almost five. I was like walking. I I went on the same route with him in his jogger stroller. And so we walk about a half mile down and then I was starting to – it's like a triangle. And once I go the first leg of the triangle and turn, I'm like, 
this isn't good. Because I usually have like enough warning where I can get to a toilet. But I'm like, this isn't good. Okay, the donut shop is the other point of the triangle. I will get to the donut shop. And I am a block and a half from the donut shop, and that's where this park is. And I see people standing outside in line waiting for the donut shop to open, which it does in about six minutes. And I had to make this really split-second decision. Do I go bang on the door, and are they going to let me in? And then I go to the bathroom and the toilet. Or what if no one comes to the door and then I shit my pants in front of all these humans? So I picked the lesser of two evils and did not continue on that trajectory to the donut shop. I went to the park. So there's this giant pine tree. And I, what I did is I took the jogger and I reversed in and held onto the jogger while I, I squatted and pooped. Uh. And thank God there was like a rogue thing of wet wipes in the bottom of it. So I actually could wipe my butt, which was good. Um, and then I threw it all in the trash can and went home. And I wa- when I walked in the front door, my husband looked at me. He was like, "What? Ha- are you okay? Because whatever was happening on my face. And I was like, baby, I just shit under a tree in the kid's park. And he's like, you did what? Like it's happened again. <laughs> it's happened again. And so before where when I backed in, like the, the, the limbs of this Christmassy tree looking thing went all the way down to the ground. They trimmed them up about eight feet so you can just walk clear under this tree now. So I think maybe there was a problem and it wasn't just me. You think everyone was shitting under that tree? Because I don't don't think that's at all. There's a trash can very close to it. And we have a lot of like our homeless um, population that kind of wanders around that area. So I think it was maybe just like sketch in general, maybe not just poop. Maybe like naps and drugs and things too. But I probably contributed to the problem. Yeah, you need to start carrying around like the little dog poop bags. So I can clean them up. COVID did weird stuff and everything was closed. So like you couldn't run to a bathroom. So if I was renovating a house and like filming, I've had to have our um, like film crew locate like a shopping bag for me to poop in. So (laughs) Surely you can do better than a plastic bag. (laughs) Apparently we can't. But I loved that when I heard it, I was like, yep, sold, done, love her, going to listen to all her stuff, going to read her book. We're good. But so now that we've discussed that, I want to go back because like your comedy career, how it started being in London, moving to L.A. um, I mean, a big part of your story is your alcohol addiction, your dad's alcohol addiction when you were younger and his death. And I really love the way you approach everything because I do agree. I think you can find humor in everything and it makes a lot of really fucked up shit easier to deal with. So, you know, in a nutshell version of your childhood and how you kind of got to the place where you were having sex with old men for money with saggy butts in L.A. It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> Happened to all of us, I'm sure. Yeah. So oh, this is funny. Like, I'm like a condensed version of my life. Yeah. So my dad died when I was 23 and um, he committed suicide and I, I, I've done jokes before about it on stage and one woman like messaged me really mad where she's like I there is nothing funny I know she read an interview and she's like there is nothing funny about suicide and I was like well obviously there's nothing it's, like I don't find the act of suicide funny I'm not like ha 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 that's so funny that people do that it's like trying to find humor yeah. inside of those places because there's always there's humor in everything everything but like this idea that like I find the topic funny is so mental to me it's like I'm just sitting here like ha 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 suicide people are very sensitive yeah people people have almost blinkers on when it comes to certain topics where I think it like I used to think like oh maybe they've gone through something similar but the people who like people who are suicidal, I don't do these jokes anymore. But when I did them, they always find those jokes the funniest because I was like, these are like my people in the same way that yeah. like parents tell jokes about kids and other parents laugh. It's like, yeah, other suicidal people are laughing at this stuff. So I, the people that get offended, I'm like, whose behalf are you getting annoyed at? But I understand yeah. it is like it's a sensitive subject for people. But I just think they're is humor to be found in like everything and 
if there wasn't, man, would life oh be hard? Oh my god, it's hard enough already. Like that would yeah. suck so bad. Like I, I was just over in Morocco recently, and we we're talking about funeral cultures, and they were just telling me like their cultures for funerals, and it made me realize how different Irish cultures for funerals are. Because like in Ireland, funerals are a blast. Like we have a good time at a funeral. We there's not that much crying that happens at funerals in Ireland. Like we're getting drunk. Well, I'm not anymore, but. Telling good stories. Yeah. You're having, like, you're thinking of like the fun memories of them. You're like sharing, it's like the food always just tastes better. I don't know why, but funeral sandwiches, they just taste taste better. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're good. I don't know what mayonnaise they're putting in, but it's just the tuna is better. But yeah, they're, they're like, we laugh a lot during funerals, which when I was telling these people in Morocco, they, they could not believe that. Or they're like, but it's sad. It's it's so, what, what is there to laugh at? And I was like, I don't know. That's just how, like. It's more a celebration of life than, you know, like I, I've talked about, like to my husband about that. I'm like, I do not want that shit. His, both his parents and his sister passed in the last handful of years. And it was so depressing and you see them in the casket and it doesn't look like them. And like, I don't want everyone to be sad about me and see some weird, like, fat suit version of me. Yeah. It's weird. I hate open caskets. We're obsessed with them in Ireland. And like everyone, everyone is obsessed with complimenting the dead body. Like it's a, from when I was a kid, like you just hear my aunt's just being like, look how great he looks. Look how great the makeup. It's amazing. Like no one has ever looked as good in Ireland as like three days after they've died. <laughs> and we think people at their best. You guys have better, you're better makeup artists for the dead people maybe than we do. No, we don't. Everyone looks terrible. Like I don't know what they're looking at. I'm like, okay. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I can't remember who told me before, but someone was like, that's like an Irish the reason we love death so much, it's like, it's the ultimate like Irish goodbye. Oh, so that's, why we're like, that's amazing. <laughs> we love death. Yes. Oh God, I love a good Irish goodbye. Yeah, me too. So dad, your dad committed suicide when you were 23. So he, uh, when I was 23 and um, I had like, I don't know, grief affects like everyone so differently and then you go through like so many different stages of it and it's it's interesting like how it affects each person Mm -hmm. but for me like in the direct immediate after it happened like maybe the the first four or five months I had the craziest like thirst for life and like almost happiness which is so at odds to like how you're supposed to feel when someone you really loved has died and people would say to me like the way you're acting I forget that your dad has just died and I I I didn't understand it at the time but like now looking back I think it's like sometimes when death comes that close to you but doesn't take you it's like this slap in the face that like you are alive Mm -hmm. they're dead but you are alive and you don't know how much more you'll be alive for but like be alive yeah so I had this like amazing few months where I was like going out all the time I was having a great time I was like having fun I was laughing it was like and in a way that like I hadn't been doing before that do you think any of it had to do with because from like from my understanding your dad would would be clean for a little bit but like pretty much on and off your whole life was an alcoholic is that correct yeah but he was a lot more sober than he was um drinking like it was from my earliest memory is like dad is an alcoholic yeah it was told to me so early it wasn't that like we watched his drinking unfold and then you know it was just that way oh he's an alcoholic that was yeah like he had gone through rehab and all that stuff before I was born well and it's probably shitty to say but I feel like it might have felt like a weight was lifted too because I don't know like it's got to have been like a waiting game like you know this is going to happen eventually and I don't know was that did it feel that way at all? Like, it's sad that he's yeah. gone, but at least I don't have to worry about when he's going to die now. Yeah, I, I did feel that. And I know with something like suicide, it can be so, um, there can be so many different like causes for it. And there's people that, you know, 
you'll hear like I had there was no warning signs it came out like that person seemed so happy and that was not the case with my dad my dad was mentally ill Mm -hmm. and he was mentally ill for a really long time and it was during a time that like we didn't have the the understanding of mental illness like we do now Mm -hmm. so like growing up in the 90s or like the early 2000s all we had was like oh dad's crazy yeah or like dad dad like we didn't have the tools weren't there and he didn't seek out enough help and we didn't understand what was going on but like my father was unwell for a really long time and he had tried to do it like years before and not succeeded and when it happened like when I got that phone call I was I was actually on the phone with my brother and the police showed up to the, my mom's house that my brother was in. And he was like, the police are at the door. And straight away, like before we heard anything, my brother's like, he's he's done it. He was like, he's killed himself. And it was, so it's, it's not that like it was expected, but it was, it didn't come as this like great surprise either, where in this weird way, it's like, some weight that had been on me that I didn't know was pressing down on me was taken off because the worst thing that can happen has now happened yeah like there's it can't it can't I I don't there's no wondering there's not that I was consciously wondering but like that underlying fear that he will do this is now taken away because he has done this so there's nothing there's nothing worse that can happen it's it's done and and there was this like kind of fucked up feeling of relief when that happened and then you know then you go through all those other emotions of like you know you feel guilty for that you feel like t- like you're a terrible person all that um but there there's so many conflicting emotions but I I do think it was the like euphoric excitement that I had for life afterwards I felt I felt was just a direct correlation to someone you love dying that is so close to you that like you're reminded of like how fleeting life is but that feeling can't stay either yeah that, like it's not sustainable unless people are dying you know every six months which would be horrible well and I feel like you would get ex- like living every day for the rest of your life like you were gonna die would be very exhausting yeah no, that nothing like is that's sustainable in either direction if you're being like really really balls to the wall happy or you're being like crazy destructive like you cannot continue on like a massive extreme but then I moved to Amsterdam I did like a master's there terrible failing all my classes super depressed a master's in what game theory is that like Molly's game Mm, I I don't know you know the film A Beautiful Mind oh okay yes Uh uh-huh yeah the maths they do in that this game theory holy that seems wildly unpleasant yeah, it was terrible. I hated it so much. Why did you choose to do that? I don't know. I just, I knew I wanted to get out of Ireland and. You're like, I'm going to go to a, get a master's in game theory um, and be a comedian later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that was not an, that I would have never thought that I'd end up doing comedy. So that wasn't yeah. even like in, on the radar. But it was more that like I hated, I had a job and I hated working. And I was like, oh, if you just go, go back, back to, to school, school, you don't have to work. Mm-hmm. And Amsterdam, it like taught in English. It was the degree, like it's so cheap in Europe, not to brag, but education. Oh no, it's the system is incredibly like, I like, oh, I don't want to work. I have to go back to school. I'd spend $50,000 a year. Yeah, it was, the master's was like two grand. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And it, it was a good school and everything. That's why yeah. I was failing all the time. <laughs> but then every time I failed, I was like, okay, well, I have to pay like an extra month is what, like 200 yeah. euro. That's not, so I was failing for a while, but yeah, I was just really depressed. And um, then I went to LA for the summer with my friend and well, he already lived there. So like I went and stayed with him and then just ended up staying longer and yeah, ended up, I mean, it does, it's not, doesn't take like a psychology degree but like as soon as my dad died I just started finding old men yeah you know (laughs) it's classic basic bitch daddy issues you know yeah it's a cliche for a reason yeah so 
I yeah, every man with gray hair, I was like, mm, I want what? you. Yeah. <laughs> e- even now, I'm like trying to get out of it now. But even now, if someone points out a hot guy, I'll be like, yeah, but imagine his dad. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's still there. I'm just trying not to feed it anymore. But you also you also said you just like really unfortunate looking older men. Do you think like do you like universally standard hot older men as well or just like the not so hot ones no but i'll like like i'll be into like an ugly young dude as well like i, I don't oh, discriminate okay. on the age when it comes to like i just ugly. like an ugly dude yeah i don't like hot guys i like it like i'm into men that like other people if i showed them a photo will be like bleh, bleh. <laughs> Is that because then like you're the, you're like, you're like, you are lucky to have me, bro. You can't get anyone else. Definitely not as hot as me. So they're just like really appreciative. That's like a byproduct. That is not like my driving force. That'd be psychopathic. It's like, I just want to, but that is definitely a benefit where it's like, I've got no competition here. Like no one, I'm making your life, dude. Yeah. Um, But most men don't even think that way. So they don't think I'm making their lives. But yeah, I just, I, I, I just like, I don't know, like, I just, there's something, and it's not that I like it intellectually, it's just like sexually, I like a guy that most people find ugly. Okay. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, Who knows? you know, that works. We have our types. We have our types. So because you were having these, you know, acting out these daddy issues anyways, you kind of like slow rolled into the world of just making money off what you were doing. Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, like, I've always been, not anymore, I hope, but, like, I've always been, like, quite self-destructive, um, and when I was in LA, I was in a very bad place mentally, and I thought, I'm for sure gonna kill myself, like, that was my way of thinking, I was like, it's not it, like, maybe it's a 100%. So just fuck it all in the meantime. Yeah, I'll do whatever right now because nothing I do will ever have consequences because I will not be alive and like saying that now to me I'm like that is such a stupid mental way of thinking but at the time it was like logical because I was in this bad space so I started doing that and you know it like it kind of happens like gradually you know like you start can you hear that? That was like my stomach. Yes. Because your little microphone's hanging down there. I lit- I thought it was mine for a second. And then I was like, I don't think I don't know. It was my stomach, but it was like in my heart. Like it was all the way up there. What's this? <laughs> I wonder if in, that's, that's indigestion. Oh, uh, really? I thought it was like some sign where it's like, this is trauma <laughs> going from your heart. I was like, it's just made up. It's just indigestion. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, you can get the two confused. Yes. <laughs> Classic mistake. Classic. Trauma or indigestion. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, so like it started with just a older guy I was going on dates with that happened to be rich that like just started buying me some shit. And I was like, dude, this is so sick. Cause I've only ever dated like broke dudes before that where yeah. I would be paying for dinner. So I was like, this is amazing. You're buying me like Aesop soap. And this is before Aesop had like, oversaturated things so this is a nice off was like prime it was like number one and COVID happened everyone got ASAP ASAP soap but to me $50 on a hand soap I was like this am I a king am I an Egyptian king like <laughs> it was amazing to me and I was like this is yeah. great and then when that ended I was like right how do I where? get that high again yeah and then and then it, but then it happens where like you're constantly chasing a high so you you have to like keep doing worse things to get that high because then once you've done like a couple of times it's like right a a guy that I'm into that's buying me a handbag is not giving me the high anymore by worse do you mean like weird sex stuff yeah weird sex stuff or just you know straight up like here's a thousand dollars to fuck me what was like the wildest thing you did well well, the most like demeaning thing that I had to do was um for me was just (laughs) listening to these men's like opinions and pretending like they were like really important that was like (laughs) the the the, the toughest thing to do to be like oh you have an opinion on world war ii Let me hear it. Rich old guys have a lot of opinions on like blowjobs are easy. 
making so you feel easier. important by listening. <laughs> so much easier. Like I would take, because I mean, and I don't say this with pride and also it's not something I do anymore, but like I can have sex with anyone, like anyone yeah. on this earth I am able to have sex with. I Just detach. It's fine. Yeah, Whatever. It just detaches. Yeah. It's like a blessing or a curse up to, up to whoever to decide that. But list, like having to make conversation is so much more soul destroying and takes so much more energy out of you. And older guys definitely want that more than like younger guys probably just want to like bone all day long. Yeah, but they're not paying. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So no joke. My husband texted me yesterday um, and he, I don't know what. He said that he read this article. Some of the highest paying cams are masked couples fucking. Uh, people pay a lot of money to watch that shit. We could do that. And I said, what are cams? <laughs> and he's, he says like webcams, different categories. And a popular one is masked couples, even like masked Hand jobs, masked. Oh my God, he keeps going on. And my response, this is take a while to guess. My response is, how much money are we talking? <laughs> he says 150K. And I was like, but per video? And he said, no, no, no per, per year. He says, per year, but some make millions. It just depends how much time you have. And I said, well, we don't have that much time. And then his response is, I guess we could do what Kim K did before she was famous. And I said, leak a sex tape. He said, yep. And then we started talking about our rental units. So. <laughs> but also like sex tape would do nothing anymore. Like everyone. No, it's like, it's, that's like, oh, you're so desperate now. Don't know sex tape. Yeah. Like we're so overly sexualized that like seeing just someone like touching their elbow, that's going to be porn because it's like, oh yeah. We've done everything. We've, we've reached the limit of what is possible. And it will definitely offend some people. If I got if I got on my Instagram live and was like, you know, in my like sports bra world, like, look at my elbow. It's so I would get trolled out like that's too much. What are you doing? Why are you being so sexual? You're a mother. Wild. Mother. That's the best one. See your elbows. Yes. Oh gosh, my poor kids. But if like I don't know if kids are in your future or not, but the shit people say to you after you're a mom, like you are, are not a human. Like you definitely don't have sex. You definitely don't talk about anything about sex. Should you look too sexy? You're just gonna get fucking thrown to the wolves. It's it's a whole thing. That's crazy. Wild. You're like, how yeah. do you think I made these babies? <laughs> yeah. So, what point in LA did you go from being a sugar baby to like? rolling into a comedy career and how did that happen that was so like that only began the last month I was in LA so as I was banging all the dudes I was like drinking all the time I was like not not well um and then I quit drinking two days later like I went to AA so I started going to AA two days later I like tried to kill myself and was committed to a psych ward because in California if you try and commit suicide you're like they can do forced. yeah they can do like a 72 hour hold or yeah yeah I was like why am I being punished like is this the 1400s and you're the catholic church like why am I being punished for doing this so I used to go to one of them which was ugh, horrific um the longest 72 hours of my life I feel like we could do a whole episode about what that was like we may have to do that yeah, later yeah the people that because the people in there there was it was half people who had tried to harm themselves and it was half people who were considered a harm to others those people were all <laughs> just having a party together yeah so so I got out of there picked back up drinking immediately because in my stupid addict head I was like oh look what happened when I tried to stop drinking I Bad tried to kill myself so yeah. alcohol that is keeping me alive um so continue drinking for like another six years but then so I was in LA I was out of that place I quit the old man so I was like I'd been doing a lot of coke I quit the old, the old man, man. Yeah, I quit them both cold turkey. I was like, no more cocaine, no more old dudes. Like, cold turkey can't go, 
can't go near them again. So then I was broke because I didn't save any of the money that they gave me. Oh. Um, yeah, just bought a load of stupid like sunglasses and shit. But anyway, and I was broke. I like, I was not doing anything. I had no like ambition. I had no like drive. I had no anything. And w- one of my friends one night who was not a dude that I had sex with for money because just where the story will go will sound like it was but he was this older guy he was like a tv producer or something and he called me up and he was like I have this idea you know you're you don't have any money you don't have like any interest but like you love going to comedy shows like you're always going to comedy shows you should start doing open mics and I was like, no way, like I'm not a performer. I would ne- never, ever would I be able to do that. And he He's was like, like, but you're damaged. And those are the funniest people. <laughs> I know, but he, just the idea of, I was like, I'm not like, I'm, to me, like being on stage, that would be like an episode of Glee. I was like, that's not me. Like, I'm not one of those people at all. Um, and then he was like, I'll pay you $20 a minute for like every minute you do of an open mic and even then I was like no man I can't do it and then that weekend I couldn't pay my phone bill like I had zero and I was like you're like I'm in yeah I was like how hard can it be so I just like wrote five minutes did did it at some open mic above you know some liquor store off Sunset Boulevard in LA and liked it it was fun and so I just kept doing it and that dude paid me like so he was like, oh, I was really high when I said that. I'm not really paying you $20 a minute. But he just paid me a grand. Like, he just gave me a grand, which is, like, the most I made in comedy for, like, the next six years. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that's how I started it. When did you leave L.A.? And it, like, how did like, – what was the next step? Like, that kind of turned it into a career where you did make money and then, you know – wrote your book and then read your book and then went to rehab. <laughs> I love that read your book. <laughs> You're super fucking funny. You're very funny. I can totally see how this works. Oh, thank you. I, I know there's like some person who's listening to this right now going, now she fucking isn't. <laughs> and that's like what's in my head. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for that pep talk. <laughs> Thanks for talking me down. To that I just want you to feel supported here on Mina AF. It's a safe space. It's a safe space for talking and shitting yourself. Yes. I left LA like right after Trump won the election. Not for that reason. (laughs) Like, I'm out. (laughs) It was probably more like, I'll be kicked out anyway. (laughs) Like, Dave didn't love immigrants. But I left. Although I remember like right before I left. So I was like just out of the um, psych ward. And I was like out at my favorite gay bar, me and my friend, and we were like outside drinking. Trump had like just won, and someone drove by and egged us. They threw eggs at us, and it like I thought I was shot. It was it like the the back. <laughs> You're like, like ah, yeah. I was like, I'm just in shot. <laughs> I've been shot. <laughs> and it was a leather jacket that one of the old men had bought me. A really expensive leather jacket, and I was like. Oh my god! And that had never happened before. We go there every weekend, and so we're we're like this, and we're all drunk, really drunk. And so it was like a big scene, and like you know, we're getting free drinks and stuff, and everyone was like, "This is a hate crime." And then I was drunk, and like somewhere along this, the night, I just was like, "Yeah!" And they shouted out Trump when they did it, but they didn't. <laughs> I love how the stories escalate. I just made that up. <laughs> like, my friend was like, I don't remember them shedding Trump. And it like, makes the story better. Yeah, I was like, they probably thought it. Like, <laughs> they, they thought it. They didn't say it out loud. Yeah, so, like, you know. I mean, yeah. But I'm just telling lied. the complete story. Yeah, it just shows you how, like, misinformation can spread. Because then the whole bar was like, and then they were, like, screaming a Trump manifesto. <laughs> and I was like... They, they all had Trump shirts on yeah. and make America great again. Yeah, it can it can spiral quick if you just th- throw out a lie. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. When, when you're drunk, it's crazy. But anyway, so I left LA. Then I was back in Dublin, did comedy, 
like it was terrible I was dying all the time it was it's such a different audience like Americans to Irish people Irish people are so begrudging of um anyone like anyone that yeah. tries to do anything like that's why we all hate Bono because it's like oh look at him trying to give to children in Africa <laughs> what a jerk we hate anyone do like anyone trying to do something with their lives we hate yeah <laughs> so like comedy audiences are just like who the fuck do you think you are like it's you better be real fucking funny yeah or like someone who's like off the tv otherwise they're not they're not laughing um mm-hmm. and also like <laughs> I'm sure I was shit too it wasn't just them but did that for a few years then moved over to London um and I started writing the book I think a little bit before COVID happened um but I was like drinking all the time so I was like I gotta write a book <laughs> and then I just did and like it's <laughs> it's good people will be like oh you can't write while drinking like it'll be terrible but I read some of it now and I'm like this is fucking this hits this is good (laughs) I wish I remembered writing it well it's probably like the most honest because I I well you know different obviously different upbringings still like different versions of like tragedy and pain and addiction and all that stuff and I've started writing like little blurbs here and there. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like these people are all still alive. They're still, I love them. Like, but if I was wasted, I wouldn't care. And it would be an amazing, like brutally honest memoir. But I I don't, I don't drink either. So I can't write a fucking book. It's terrible. That's so true of the people still being alive. And like, when you're drunk, you don't have that filter. Because was anyone else doing interviews when it came out and people were like, are you not worried of like how honest you were in it? And I was like, well, I wasn't until you just said that. Like, now I, I am. Yeah. Great. But it, I, yeah, I think like with memoir, there's like you hold back so much because even though like a lot of times you change the names anyway, because you have to, but like you hold back a lot for the people who will read it that you love. But they know who they are, right? Yeah. 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 And like you don't want to hurt feelings. And so then you're not, writing from an honest place because you don't want to upset someone um yeah and you're making them out to be like better than they were and when you're drunk you don't think of that at all you don't think of anything (laughs) yeah he was right so did the book have any backlash from anyone you were like still close to and like your family or friend group no my mom absolutely hated it um but I knew she'd hate it and she was reading it she had to take off the cover because it has like half my face on it and she's like I couldn't look at you but the things that she had the biggest issues with were like the most rant like she had a real issue with me talking about masturbating as a kid she's like that's disgusting and I was like that's your big issue okay that's that's it okay yeah like sex sex trumps suicide in Ireland for like shame (laughs) like like anything but female pleasure just don't put that in there yeah don't so she didn't talk to me for like a week, but then she just settled down. And there was there was one guy that I wrote about, one ex, that I was, and he's such a vindictive bastard that I was like, he's going to murder me. Not literally, but like, he's going to be really, he's going to go mental at me when he reads this, but he's never contacted me. So I don't know if that means he hasn't read it. I'm sure people have told him because he's like known in Ireland, but that hasn't come back to haunt me. Thank God. And one of the guys in the book read it and was like so sweet about it he was and like his portrayal he definitely comes across the nicest but it's still like a pretty brutal portrayal of like an older guy and the power imbalance and he read it and was like so supportive and um he was like even though it was weird to read about me in that way like it's still your story and how I feel is irrelevant because it's your story and it was so sweet oh my gosh what a grown like amazing perspective like outlook on it I would not yeah I I wouldn't I don't think I could be that gracious if I read like I I, there's one sentence where I'm mean about how he looks which I didn't need to put in there like I said he looks like a bald rat and he does, but I didn't need to have that in there. And he still was like, just, it, it, it was so shocking to me. And it made me want to like, 
be like that or it's like oh that's so nice and so gracious that like I want to be like that if anyone ever writes a book and they talk shit about me and I want to have your response yeah um so that was nice um I had one of my ex's mums read it oh my goodness which I was like oh no no don't read don't read that don't read me in this light um but she was very nice too I think a lot of people that read it and didn't like it, they're not going to say it to me. They're just going to talk shit behind my back. So that's why. Yeah. You know, be the, the, the normal thing. Yeah. The polite way to be. If I want to make sure that people will put all the information in the show notes too, but where can people find your book? I think like buying the actual book is probably lots of locations, but like, is it on Amazon? Is it? Yeah. I think the only way in America to get it is on Amazon because it wasn't published with an American publisher is any published with a UK publisher so I think so trouble a memoir it should be on Kindle and I don't know like my ex's mum is American and somehow she got her she got it (laughs) so it's possible I'm just not sure I know Amazon anyway what is now like what is life now what's going on where are you what are you doing yeah just chilling just I just got back to London I was like in Morocco for a few weeks um I took up surfing when I got sober because I was like I didn't realize like when you're not drinking there's so much time in the day yeah (laughs) so I was like I need a hobby so I started trying to learn to surf so it's just in Morocco I came back within 24 hours I was like fuck this city so I'm going back to Morocco next week for like six weeks that's amazing who do you go to Morocco with just by myself um and just go to these like surf camps so are you do you still do shows and whatnot um yeah comedy wise or I just I came back and it was it just hit me like it was just everything was cold I'm supposed to move into a flat and it's not ready yet so I'm in these like freezing Airbnb and I was like you know what I'm just gonna fuck off this month I'm just gonna cancel any gigs I have and go away for a month and then figure out my life when I come back do you ever come back to um like do you ever do anything in the states anymore no I haven't been back since I lived there but I love America so much like people talk shit on it all the time so I've lived in Chicago and LA loved them both I loved LA no one loves LA I loved it Everyone, I don't care if they're fake. Like, they're telling me interesting stories. It's, yeah. I loved it. Oh, my God. This has been so fun. I was very yeah, excited before. Time. Thank <laughs> you for talking with me. I 100% want to chat again because I really want to get into this psych ward stay. Um, so for we're going to sure. have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to hear more about this missing gallbladder. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like, I told you, I think two of probably like a solid seven pooping my pants stories. <laughs> um, We've only got two in. so <laughs> Only two in. So thank you guys for listening to both of our pooping our pants story. We will make sure we put um, the link for like your Amazon book in the show notes. And also, as always, you guys, the link to submit questions or statements or you just want to say mean stuff to me you can record that too that link is also in the show notes thank you guys so much again uh, maurice gowan and her book is trouble a memoir check it out she's super freaking funny and we will see you next tuesday <laughs>